I grew up in the Lutheran church, and I shared a story about how one of the things that we would say in the Lutheran church was the Apostles' Creed. Uh, if you're familiar with the Apostles' Creed, that was, that's what was just in the video that we played. And there's a line in there that always threw me. And I was sharing all this, and I actually had a lot of people kind of come up to me and say, I've always wondered the same thing, whether they had a different background, a different experience. If they grew up in a non-Catholic church saying the Apostles' Creed, you get to this one line where you say, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. And as a young boy, and, and others had this similar, similar experience, it confuses the heck out of you. Here I am sitting in the Lutheran church saying, I believe in the Catholic church, and I'm like, I, I don't get it. Like, did, was there a battle, and we lost? And like, part of like, the consequence is that like, we have to say, yep, they're number one, we believe in them. I, just, I, I didn't know what to make of it, and that's kind of where my mind went. And I, I came to realize and came to learn that in the Apostles' Creed, when it's saying uh, uh, the Holy Catholic Church, uh, it's referring to the adjective more than the title. It's a friend that actually that means universal, saying I believe in the universal church. The fact that uh, the church is not simply just what's happening here this morning, but that there's other churches throughout our nation, throughout our, our, our world. There's other church, uh, churches gathering throughout time who have already gathered and will continue to gather. And as we gather all those together, that is the church universal. And we're going to take a week on that and unpack that a little more in the future. But really brought me this point of uh, acknowledging that, hey, that there are things that I claim to believe that I don't understand. Yeah, I talked about how I, I knew this in my head, but you know, th- there's really no connection to my heart. So even some of the different statements in there that I, I knew, I didn't really do anything with them. There was an understanding in my head, but there was no connection in my heart. Let me give you an example, as that, an example of that. See, as a young man, I, I knew that I was called to purity. You know, when I was uh, getting a date in relationships and different things like that, I, I knew that there was, there was a call to purity. And so I had it in my mind. But see, it was more of one of those things where it's God says not to do this, so don't do that. As opposed to, I know that this is sin, or I know that this is wrong, or I know that God has better, but I still choose the lesser. I still choose to go contrary to God's way. That, that, that's when it begins to engage your heart. See, when it was just engaged in my mind, it was just a matter of, okay, well, God said not to do this. But honestly, I think we all have different thresholds in this that only gets you so far. If you grew up uh, with a parent who's always like, no, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, I think that we all have a certain element of that in our story. But if all we ever understood for why we do certain things was because mom and dad said so, there comes a time where that's not enough for us anymore, Right? There comes a time we push back against that, and it's like, no, it's got to come to a point where we are, our actions are going to pour out of what's in our heart and what the beliefs of our heart are. And so while I had this knowledge of purity, it wasn't engaging my heart. That's one of the reasons why we're walking through this series, Together We Believe, walking through the Apostles' Creed, because it's important for us to know what we believe. So our culture, we claim certain beliefs, you know, this is generally speaking, uh, but we don't believe them in our hearts. One of the examples of this is, uh, do you see when people, and you probably do this yourself, I've done this myself, we're, we're quick to justify sin. Our, our response to things in our life that are contrary to God is to justify them if we think they're small enough. We say something like, well, nobody got hurt, or nobody knows, it's just between me and God, or, hey, you know what, yeah, I know we shouldn't be doing this, but everyone's doing it, and, and no one really seems to have an issue with it. That's not that kind of a big deal. Or, or the one I think is pretty popular is we say, but I'm still a good person. And then we proceed to compare ourselves to the Hitlers of the world. I'm still a good person just because I'm not the worst. 
We, we justify our sin when in reality, whether it's large or small, sin is sin is sin. Going against God, disobeying him, living a life contrary to what he would have for us is sin. And our response to it should not be one of justification. It should not be one of saying, hey, this is okay. But it should be one of repentance where we say, this is not what God has for us. He has better. So I repent of my way, and I turn, and I go the other way. I go God's way. And as we're going to see as we work through this Apostles' Creed, uh, we're going to be talking about forgiveness of sin. And, and so we can stand on that firm foundation. Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll be forgiven of that sin. But too many times we move to justification and, and, and allowance of these different things that are against God instead of repentance and turning from it. As a culture, we're also quick to engage in, in sin. We'll, we'll shelve our beliefs, our, our beliefs temporarily. We'll say, okay, well, I'm going to put this belief up on the shelf because I'm going out on a Friday night and I, I'm looking to have fun with my friends. Right? You ever done something like that? And it's like, okay, well, I know that this isn't me, but hey, this is just me tonight. Or this is just me in that moment. Or maybe we say something like, we compartmentalize our beliefs to where we say, yes, I believe it's wrong to steal, so I'm not going to rob a bank, but, hey, you know what, I don't mind stealing from a gas station if I can just swipe a you know, thing of candy or something like that. Or I don't mind you know, fudging on my taxes a little bit. I mean, I'm not stealing Social Security numbers and filing false taxes. I'm just kind of fudging on my, we kind of shelve or compartmentalize our beliefs. I think this is true of, of all of us, whether we're, we, we've said I'm a follower of Jesus or just your, your average American. Our beliefs of what we believe to be true in our head doesn't always engage in our heart. And we see this disconnect. And so I think it's important for us as a church to say, as Christ followers, what do we believe? What unites us? What, what is our foundation to what we believe? And that's important for us to know. That's one of the reasons why early church leaders put together different creeds. They're trying to say, hey, what unites us in belief? And they have these different creeds. Uh, I also shared last week, I kind of tricked my, my kids. I was talking to them about the Apostles' Creed, and I said, hey, who do you think wrote the Apostles' Creed? It's called the Apostles' Creed. You know, it's like if I wrote someone, hey, this is Steve's Creed, who do you think wrote it? And my oldest was like, oh, was it the Apostles? And I said, no, you're wrong. I'm just kidding. Uh, it, it's not the Apostles, it's just written based off of their teachings, and their teachings are based off of Scripture, and so we're using this to go back to Scripture. But they, they gathered these creeds together as a statement of belief, uh, and it, it did a couple of different things. When they would recite these creeds, on one hand, they were taking a stand against the way of the world. They were taking a stand saying, hey, the, our current culture would say this, and theirs is different than where ours is today, but it's still moving away from God. And they would say, hey, the, the world believes this, but no, we believe this about God. It takes a stand against the world's way of life. And, and as you move in a new du a direction, you say that there's a new way as a disciple of Jesus. So now it doesn't say, here's what we believe, but what we believe is contrary to the direction of the world. You know, it's important also to believe what's true. It's one thing, yes, that what we, what we believe to be true should also we need to connect our mind and our heart, but we also want to make sure that the things we're looking at truly are true. Let me give you an example of that. You can show up at my house, pull into my driveway, and say, this is now my home, I live here. Not a true statement, but you can do it. You can try that. And I guarantee you, no matter how many times you push that garage door opener, my garage door will not open for you. No matter how many times you put your key into my lock, it's not going to open that door. Because you can say, this is now my home, but that doesn't necessarily make it true. And so when we have these statements of belief, we want to make sure that we're saying, hey, here's what we know to be true. We're standing on something that, that's, that's firm, that's not going to wash away 
We're not standing on a lie. And so the early church fathers put together these creeds, one of which is the Apostles' Creed. They said, this is what we believe to be true. You know, one of the reasons that we're walking through this, actually, I want to give kind of three different disclaimers, and I'm probably going to cover these in, in part each week just as a reminder, um, because this is a little different series for us, right? Usually, we, let's look into a, a book of the Bible and walk through that, or let's, you know, we're going to talk about a certain topic and, and get all the scriptures about that topic and unpack those a little bit. But here we're taking this, this creed that was written um, by others, but we also looked at how we're called to make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them all that you've heard Jesus command. And so this is the apostles doing that. They, they taught the words of Jesus. And so church leaders took those teachings that were based on the teachings of Jesus and put them together in these creeds. And so one thing we need to remember as we dig into this series here is that the apostles' creed is but a tool for teaching. The authority is not in the creed. The authority is in the word of God. It's simply a tool to teach what we believe, what we understand about the word of God. It points us back to the true authority, which is found in God. Each week we're going to study a passage of God's word, and we're going to use the creed to kind of guide us and steer us, but we're looking at God's word and trying to see what does this teach us. Jesus commands his disciples to teach others, and we're going to continue in that. We see in the Old Testament they had this, this practice of uh, impart upon your children what God has taught you. And, and there is this uh, real pattern, this real process of, Here's what I know to be true. I'm going to teach it to my children, and hopefully that's something that we continue in today. Instead of just letting our kids, you know, just figure it out on their own and then kick them out of the nest on their own, hopefully we're, we're pouring into them not only how to uh, be a contributing member of society, but to know here is who your God is. And here's some true beliefs and statements about who he is and in our interaction with them. So first thing to remember is that the Apostles' Creed is but a tool for teaching. It's also a creed that connects it reminds us that we're part of a greater picture, a greater body. Anytime you would say the Apostles' Creed, you can remember that, hey, this is something that's being, that has been said for uh, close to 2,000 years. That there's churches that very similar to ours and very different to ours in different times and different places that would stand on this same statement of belief. That there's a holy Catholic church, a universal church that gathers together and says, yes, this is what we believe to be true. It's almost like a baton that's being passed in a race that's been run for the past 2,000 years. And it says, hey, here's what we believe to be true. And I'm passing it on to this next generation, this next wave of the church. And then we pass it on to others. And so every time we recite this, every time we think on what it teaches, it's connecting us, grounding us in the church as a whole. So it's a tool that teaches. It's a creed that connects. And it also serves to reaffirm our foundation. To remind us of what we know to be true. Because honestly, let's be honest here. When, when life gets difficult, that's sometimes when it's the hardest to remember the truth about God, right? When, when you're just at your wit's end, those those moments that you need someone to remind you, you need some tool to, to remind you what you know to be true about God. This uh, past week, I've, I've been uh, single dadding it. My, my wife was on a trip for girls weekend. Or girls week, and it's funny, people be like, so Steve, how, how are you holding up? Almost with this, like, expecting, like, this big story of how the, the house is burning down, and I'm like, oh, okay. But uh, I know they're just being kind, and, and just, you know, hey, you know, I'd be asking myself that same question. Um, but I'm like, actually, you know, we're, we're doing okay, we're doing okay. And um, we got all the way through the week, and then my wife uh, got back in town Saturday afternoon, and Friday night, Friday night, every little thing that could just happen, happened. 
And we're talking silly things. There's a little project I was working on, pulling some dead branches out from some pine trees on our property. And uh, if you've ever seen at least the one pine tree that we have, it has like the one main stalk and it has all these little branches that kind of uh, shoot out from it. You know, so if you were to get hit in the face by this branch, it's like getting hit in the face by like about 50 branches because all these little things, and guess who got hit in the face by this branch? That would be me. And then I'm out there working, and just, it's just a pine tree, and all of a sudden I somehow managed to step in a tomato cage. I don't even know what it's doing under there, and I got my foot in the small end to where I couldn't put my foot down without jabbing myself with one of the tines, and so I'm dancing on one foot trying to bend this thing so I can at least put my foot down to pull my foot out, and I got my three little ones with me, two of which are kind of refusing to work, and it's always, I'm trying to get a job done, but like, hey, Dad, what can I do? Okay, do this. Well, I, I can't get the rakes. Okay, go to the shed. Oh, I can't open it. Yes, you can. Just open it, you know. Well, I need gloves. Okay, where, where are they? They're, they're right in front of your face, darling. You know, put them on. It's just ask after ask after ask, and I'm just getting frustrated and frustrated. And all of a sudden, my son kind of uh, disappears from view. Hey, buddy, where are you going? Well, I got to go potty. Well, he'd already gone potty, and that's a whole other story, and that means there was something else going on, and, and, and things went on, and we'll just leave it at that. Uh, keep this PG. And, um, and so it just, all these little things just kept happening. And they just kept frustrating me and frustrating me and frustrating me. And the point where I just, Porch was able to just come back to this place. Hey, I don't know. Let me remind myself what I know to be true. That I am loved by God. That my kids are loved by God. That he has shown us much grace and much mercy. And the grand scheme of life, the grand scheme of the mission of God, of what he's called us to, none of these struggles really matter right now. They're so small, they're so tiny. They're things that we should be able to, when we understand who God is and, and, and his call on our lives and, and our place in, in, in his life, that we should be able to take a breath and move on. And in that moment, I, I was able to do that because I, I was able to come back to this grounding belief, this firm foundation of who I know our God to be and what he thinks about me and what he thinks about my kids. Without that, I'd still be flipping out, freaking out, trying to, you know, just every little thing going wrong. And on top of that, one piece I left out is what started all this off is we had a great fun day at the zoo and, and you know, saw all the grandparents. I'm driving back home and I get pulled over. Uh, I just, and I, I get a speeding ticket. I was the last guy in line. I didn't know what the speed limit was. It's just one of those kind of, yeah, no, either you're going to give me a ticket or you're not. And he did. And so he comes back with a bunch of papers and he's like, well, this one's for the speeding ticket. And I'm thinking to myself, this one? And uh, here's what you do. And then, and I'm like, oh, goodness, what is it? Of course, I uh, come to find out my license was expired. And um, I just, I'm like, oh, I, I didn't even realize that. And you just kind of you say things you don't even realize you're saying. And I'm like, oh, I, I thought those were tied to your birthday. He's like, yeah, your birthday was last month, bud. And I'm like, okay, well, thanks for the reminder, you know. And so I'm thinking, okay, that's the end of it. And he says, well, technically, you can't drive. You know, and in most cases, it would have been just me and my kids. I'd be like, well, what am I going to do? But fortunately, I had my, my mom and my stepdad with me. So he's like, can one of them drive? I'm like, sure. And I kind of just walk of shame out around my car on the side of the road. I like, can't even drive my own family home from a trip at the zoo. And that started all that. So all these things are going on. I'm just, you know, I'm being transparent here. You know, we're a, a church of broken people who, who love and trust in Jesus. Um, The best was, you know, the cops would stand just behind, you know, kind of the pillar, and my son was behind me, and as soon as the cop comes up, we do the quick, hey, you know, evening officer kind of thing, and he puts the window down, he's like, hi, I'm Eli, you know, the cutest little thing, you know, little three-year-old you could have saying that, and, you know, if that wasn't going to get me off of a ticket, I don't know what was, but 
So it reaffirms our foundation. When we know what we believe, when, when, whether it be a significant storm of life or just the kid kicking the back of your seat constantly that just gets to you and you lose it. Whatever happens in life, knowing what we believe to be true helps to ground us. It helps to reaffirm our foundations. That's why we're walking this road. Last week we looked just at the first statement, I believe. And the power of belief, the significance of that, and having more than just in the head but also in the heart. Today we're going to look at this, this first full statement, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I want to unpack different aspects of this first. We're going to jump to a few different passages, uh, but then we're going, to, we're going to actually land in the Lord's Prayer because uh, the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, I think, uh, hits on a lot of these same concepts that we see in this one statement, uh, but it also gives us a picture of our response. So if we say we believe God is this, it can give us a picture of, okay, if that's God, then this is how we should go and live. And so that's kind of our, our time here this morning. We're going to do just that. So let's unpack this. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Let's start with this. I believe in God. When we say I believe in God, there's a bunch of different things that could come with that, one of which I think is, is an acknowledgement that there's more beyond this physical world. We're acknowledging that there is a creator, there is a, 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 more than just physical, but there's spirit as well. John 4.24 says this, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The more we come to know about our, our physical world, the more we, we, we uncover and through science and different things, exploration, uh, we answer some questions, but the more answers that come up, right? And we always come back to this, uh, no matter what, th- th- there's always this beginning that had no beginning. Well, where did that come from? And, and we, we can look at all those different kind of aspects and know that there uh, is a designer because we see design. Uh, there is a creator. And, and, and so God is more than, than just a, a creator. He's not a created being, but he is a spirit. He is God. And so we say that we're acknowledging that truth. We see this revealed through common experience, and it's not just, uh, let's go beyond Johnsburg. Let's just look uh, throughout our nation, throughout our world, throughout time, where, where countless people acknowledge that there, there's more to us than just this physical world. There is a, a soul, the existence of the soul. You, know, you, you could talk about different parts of your body that maybe you go to the doctor because something's not working right or you got a pain here or pain there, you know, and if you're, you're having a hard time uh, with oxygen, they're going to look at your lungs. If they have a hard time, you know, something with blood circulation, you're going to look at your heart. If, if there, there's something, you know, with pain management or whatnot, maybe your, your spinal cord or your, or your brain or some kind of different thing, you, there's, there's centers in the body that we can identify where these things take place, and yet we're, we're unable to locate where, where does the soul reside? Where, where do you reside? Well, it's, it's more than just physical, but there's a spiritual aspect. And so when we say, I believe in God, we're, we're acknowledging that spiritual truth. And honestly, all these arguments may have been a little, little, little rocky. But I think when we begin to look through Scripture, we see a spiritual realm that's made clear. We see uh, the existence of angels and demons. We see the existence of God and the existence of Satan. We see that God has made himself known to us in more than just the physical realm. But that there is as well. So when we say something like, I believe in God, what we're saying is, I believe God. I believe in God because I believe God. God has made himself known to us. He's, he's, he's told us about himself in scripture, and so I believe what he says. The other thing when we start with this statement, I believe in God, is we're kind of saying, and it's not me. I believe in God, and it's not me. 
I'm not the one in ultimate control of all this. I'm not the one who has power over this. He, in the States, we want to say, I'm a self-made man. I'm a self-made woman. And I, I got power and control over every aspect of my life. And if you've ever walked that road, if you haven't already, eventually something will come that reveals to you how false that statement is. And you can think of stories of people who, from multiple different perspectives, have, have made all the right moves, all the right decisions, all the right choices, and have had one of the most difficult and, and frustrating lives. You can have someone who's made all the wrong choices, all, you know, all the missteps and misguided directions, and yet have such opportunity and ease. We just see it's not a matter. We, we don't have control over everything in our life. The more we unpack that, we see how little control we have because we're saying that I'm not God. I don't have power over all this. And so on one hand, it should be a little freeing to say we start with, I believe in God. I believe that there is a spirit who is over all this. Let's unpack a little more about that. I believe in God the Father. This begins to unpack the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I believe in God the Father. We're going to cover that in, in some later weeks. Next week we're going to talk about Jesus, and then later in the series we're talking about the Holy Spirit. But begin to see, I believe in God the Father. So we're talking specifically about that aspect of God. One of the ways that God has, has revealed himself to us is through God the Father. And the Greek here is Abba, Father. And it has this, this personal connotation to it, this very personal relationship. It's not just like, yeah, you know, you think about um, in, a, in a family example, it's not just that's the guy who led to me being born. But it's, no, here, here's this personal, relational imagery of Father when this word Abba, that refers, that translates as Father, is used here in the Greek. God creates us. He forms us from the dust. If you're familiar with the creation account we see in Genesis, uh, there's a distinct difference between how man is created, how everything else is created, that there's this intentional, personal relationship that God has both in the forming and the breathing life into mankind, knitting us together in our, in our mother's womb. He pursues us on top of that. This is one of the distinct differences between Christianity and so many other religions, if, if someone ever says, oh, they're, they're just all the same, there, there's some very stark contrasts. And one of them, as we see in Christianity, is that God pursues us. And this is revealed in this heart of a father. You think of a father and their child, they, 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 they want to be in relationship with their child. They want to pursue them. God pursues us. He's made a way for us to be in relationship with him through Jesus, his son. When we say something like, I believe in God the Father, we are saying that God is not far from us. And that he pursues relationship with us. Maybe you grew up in, in an uh, understanding that, yeah, okay, we need to do certain things to obey God, but, you know, he's just this God in the, in the clouds and, and there's no interaction with him. I want you to know that there's a personal aspect of God. There's a personal aspect where he wants you to be in relationship with him. That's what we see. Prayer is this, this talking with God and talking to God and hearing from him. Time in his word, spending time with him, being obedient and following in the ways that he would lead us and guide us. This is the heart of God the Father. And so when we say, I believe in God the Father, there's an acknowledgement of that personal pursuit that he has of his people. We keep going. I believe in God the Father Almighty. To, God, God, to call God Almighty is to acknowledge belief in his omnipotence, that he is all-powerful, that he has control over all things. We see this throughout Scripture. In the book of Job, God speaks about laying out the heavens. 
Basically, it says to Job, hey, where were you when I laid out the heavens? Where were you when I, when I formed kind of how this was all going to come together? I was there. I did it. I had control over all those things we can see there in Job. In Genesis, he speaks about uh, uh, speaking things into existence. We see God's power as one of just saying and things are done. In the New Testament, we see that Jesus has power over the physical world. There's times where he calms a storm. He speaks against the storm, and it calms. He speaks against a, a, a fig tree that wasn't bearing fruit, and it withers and dies. He's given a few fish and some loaves of bread, and he multiplies them to feed thousands. We see throughout Scripture pictures of God's power and his omnipotence. For some of us, I think there's times where this is a very comforting thing. Especially maybe when you're in a, a, a sense of feeling powerless. You're not sure what your next step is. You're not sure what's coming. You're not sure how to handle whatever's on your plate today. But then you stop and acknowledge that God is omnipotent. That he's all-powerful. And that gives us comfort, right? This is kind of like the, the kids on the playground. My dad can, can do this. And, you know, oh, my dad can do that. And oh, my dad can beat up your dad. And, oh, oh, my dad can do this. And we kind of keep one up. In it cause, and they can talk a tough game because they believe in the power of their father and so that should be a comforting truth for us but see that there's another side to god being all-powerful we just need to be real about here for a minute i think there's a a line of reasoning that says god if you are all-powerful then why did you not stop blank then why did you allow blank to happen in my life why did you allow this disaster to take place why didn't you stop that why didn't you intervene in these moments of life we can look at some of the tragedies that happen whether on a universal scale things that are happening to entire cities and nations or on a personal level things that are happening in your life we say god why didn't you intervene if you've been following the news we, we see stories of what's happened in guatemala where, where, where the volcano erupted and uh, the entire village wiped out you can look at the aerial footage of it and on one hand you see what it was like before and on the other hand maybe maybe five percent of the village is still visible under you know the rest is covered in ash and soot and all the, the stuff that came down and and even what's visible you know it's, it's it's not usable god why weren't you there why didn't you intervene we, we asked these questions and first of all let me just be honest i i don't have a good answer for you on this I can't say here's why God didn't intervene in those moments, but I think that there's some hope we can find in this. First of all, he is a loving father who doesn't force us to love him. He's a loving father who doesn't force us to love him. What kind of love would that be if God said, you have to love me? Because God gives us a choice to love him, some people choose not to. And even for those who do choose to love God, there's times where we don't follow that, where we... we, we we go a different direction, and our actions aren't ones that are in line with loving our Father. And this leads to sin and pain and suffering in the world, and we choose not to follow God. So some of these things that you may be asking, why didn't God intervene, is because I think God is a God who allows us to love him instead of forcing us to love him. And we live in this world with other people, and other people's decisions can have an impact on our lives. And so I think he walks with us in those moments when someone else's garbage can have some issues in our life. And we have to be honest, sometimes our garbage can bring about issues in other people's lives. He's a loving father. He's a refining father. I think sometimes these things that we wish God would stop and intervene on, 
Um, sometimes the reasons that he says no is because he's a, a refining father who longs to see us grow. He understands that sometimes working through difficult situations will bring about a, a stronger self. We'll be in a better position. And again, think about how you grew up and, and, and if you know how to ride a bike, you've also fallen off a bike, right? And were those falls worth it? I think most of us would agree, yeah. It was worth those, those momentary moments of pain and difficulty because of the joy of being able to ride that bike, because of the confidence and the freedom we got in doing that. Most anything worth doing in this life has difficulty and challenge behind it. And think sometimes God allows us to go through that because he knows the refining aspect of that. He knows how much stronger we will be. He knows how much closer we will walk with him. I don't know about your stories, but I know in my personal story, the times that I've gone through some of the most difficult things in my life are times I've been the closest to God. He's a loving father who doesn't force us to love him. He's a refining father who longs to see us grow. He is a powerful father who is sovereign. He's a powerful father who is sovereign, which means he has control over all things. It, in some of the most tragic and horrific offenses, everything I've said up to this point doesn't matter. In some of the most tragic and horri horrific offenses, it doesn't. whether you say God's a loving God, you can say he's a refining God, it's like, but these things are just so terrible. Why wouldn't God intervene? And those are the ones I, I don't really have a good answer. Except to say, we can look to who God is. We may not have the answer of the why he's allowed it. We can look at things like Romans 8, 28. begins with this. It says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. But I think a lot of times in these moments of life that, that are just so horrendous, to hear someone say that to us, you're just like, close your mouth. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to be reminded of that. Where's the good in this? Because you see so much garbage. And, and that, that statement is still true, even if that's not the best time to hear it. But I think we can look at the God that we serve, the God that we know, and the God that we love. We can see how he works on our behalf. We can see that there is, is a call to eternity. In the same way that we can look at other things in life and say, hey, in the grand scope of things, God is going to work in and through this, or God is going to work beyond this. We can eventually come to that point in some of those most difficult times in our lives. I'm not saying that God has ordained it. I'm not saying that God has approved it. But he's allowed it to happen. But he loves us, and he's with us in that. To say that I believe in God the Father Almighty is to say that we believe God is all-powerful, that he has control over all things, and we live our lives under that truth. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. The last kind of phrase we're going to grab here, creator of heaven and earth. If Father reveals this personal nature of God, right? If Father talks about this way which God pursues us, creator, I think, reveals the grandness of God, this unreliant, everlasting grandness of God, the fact that God doesn't depend on anyone else, the fact that he knows uh, all and that he can do all and that he uh, was there before creation, he doesn't uh, rely on us, uh, the fact that we have an opportunity to be part of the mission of God isn't because God needs our help, but because he wants it, because he wants us to be a part of what he's doing on this world. We talk about him as a creator, all that's packed in there. We've talked before in some of our previous 
uh, messages in the previous series about this, this relationship between science and faith. Because I think right now in our culture, uh, many would say science and faith are at odds. But we need to acknowledge that this is actually a relatively new idea, probably within the last century. If we go back further, we see actually uh, through a lot of um, advancement done by Christians, done by Christ followers, disciples of Jesus, that there was all kinds of scientific discovery. There was all kinds of universities that were started because we want to know more about God's creation, not in the sense in which we saw science and faith fighting against each other, but in the sense in which we saw uh, that the science was, was teaching us more about God's creation. And so we don't need to fear science. It doesn't combat faith. But honestly, for me, the more I've, I've come to understand about this world, the more I see the majesty of our God. I think one of the ways in which we see this kind of battle is we talk about creation itself. How does this, how did this world come to be? And here's what happens, I think, all too often. Uh, say you have what we'll call a young earth creationist. Someone who believes, as you read through scripture, that there's a literal understanding of a day. Saying so a 24-hour period in each day, and that's how God made. And the earth is roughly 6,000 years old. It has the appearance of age due to different things like the flood and, and whatnot. But God created, he spoke, and it literally happened. And, and that's how it all goes. They'd say, here is my, my, my clan, my tribe, my group of people who, who think similar than that. As we look at scripture, this is what we believe to be true scientifically. And, and I, I, I've, I've been in this camp and I've known people in this camp uh, who love God and who are a whole lot smarter than me uh, in multiple different areas of life and, and I respect them. And, and we have another camp uh, we'll call it a theistic evolutionist. Someone who would say, well, as we unpack different things in science, we see pictures that would point us to uh, the world, world and the universe being millions and millions of years old, and we can see how different things have, have evolved into this and that. And, and even um, amongst that camp, you're going to get different views. Well, I think it was kind of done this way. I think it was kind of done that way. And these aren't, you know, if we give people the benefit of the doubt, I think most of them are just they're trying to make sense of the data before them. And I've been in this camp, and I've known Christians in this camp who know a whole lot more than me. And there's not, there's not just two camps. Even with, we, we could unpack all these different things, but that's a whole other series, that's a whole other message. It's probably actually a whole other uh, kind of off, offline, off a of Sunday morning thing. There's so much you can look into. There's so much information. But the point is, I'm saying that I, I've come across people in different camps when they come to the how they believe this was all done. And then you ask this question. If you imagine a chart with each of those little tribes of, of belief as, with a circle around it, People who, who have generally, not, not just grasped onto something, but generally looked at the evidence and come to a belief that this is what I believe is how it all took place. If we were to hand them a marker and say, okay, now circle all the ones of these in one big circle that you would say are following God, that you would say are, are, are true believers. And too often what I see happening is each of those tribes taking the marker and circling just their tribe. And basically what they're saying is they're saying, Unless you believe this about creation, then you're not following God. Unless you believe this about creation, then, then, then you got it all backwards and, and you know, your, your faith is worthless. And I see us moving in that direction, and that's not helpful, that's divisive. Because honestly, what, what, if I were to take that marker and all those pictures of those tribes, I'd put a big giant circle around it all because see, here is how we are united. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. If we go to Genesis chapter 1, it says, in the beginning, God. And that unites us. And some over here would say, you can't have this perspective and think that God was behind it all. And some over here would say, well, you can't have that perspective and, and, and say God was behind it all. And then they, they take difficult 
things and they unpack them and they say, well, clearly it means this. And I hate when people do that because, no, maybe clearly for you, but not for me. And I'm trying to figure it out, make sense of all this. But we're united that in the beginning, God. And I don't know if this is your first time hearing this. If, if you really identify with one of those camps and, and, and maybe other ones that I, I didn't, uh, didn't make an example of. Maybe you've been one to say, hey, you know what, unless you believe this about it, you're throwing out Scripture, and that's simply not true. That's simply not true. The foundational belief that we see that unites us as believers is that in the beginning, God. Let's have conversation. Let's unpack. Let's, let's explain why we believe what we believe. Let, 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 let's uh, dig into that. But all from a stance of unity under God, not disunity in our own little camps. So when you say that, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. This should be a unifying thing. It's that God is sovereign over all. You know, if we know this to be true in our head and our heart, so we, we know this statement. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. We know in our head, we know in our heart, we believe this to be true. It should shape us. It should form our days. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's talking about some of these same, same, same truths here, about how God is almighty. And he says, okay, if this is true, if God is the almighty God, then this is how you should give. If, if this is true, then this is how you should pray. And he gets to this point here in, in Matthew chapter 6. If you've got your Bibles, you can open up to Matthew chapter 6. Uh, that's our, our last passage we're going to look at here this morning. Uh, Matthew 6 basically gives this, here's how you give, here's how you pray, and he gives us the Lord's Prayer. And a lot of the concepts we've already walked through, you're going to see uh, hit on in this prayer. And this is not a creed. This isn't something that we're going straight to. Jesus is saying, this is how you pray. And the Lord's Prayer is straight out of Scripture. Um, you might catch some differences. Uh, there's one word where it says debt and debtors. Uh, some different backgrounds, depending on what your background, background is, would say trespasses and tres, you know, or would, would say sins. Uh, and honestly, they're all right. It's actually a very, uh, there's a lot of depth in, in the original Greek word that's used there, and each one of those would be an appropriate use in, in that spot, but the ESV, which we use here on Sunday mornings, says debtors. Um, also, there's usually a tag on the end, if you've said it in, in a uh, corporate setting a lot of times, and that is, is actually, it's scriptural, but it's from another passage that you won't find here. So let's, let's just wrap up with this here. Matthew 6, 9 through 13, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. Say, hey, because of our almighty God, because of who he is, this is then how you should pray. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we all also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. So I want you to see a clear picture of who God is. As we work through this real quick here, I want you to be able to see because he's God, blank. Because he's God, it means this. You know, you'll see what I mean here in a minute. I also want you to get a clear picture of how we respond to him. Because we're not blank. Because God is God, this is true. And because we're not, this is true. So let's just kind of work through this. Uh, verse 9 and 10. Pray like this then. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Again, this Father in heaven. We see it's personal and powerful. He is a Father. How he connects to us. He is in heaven. He is over all whose name is holy. Uh, I think sometimes we can tend to make light uh, of God and this concept of God in our culture, but you know, his name is holy, it's hallowed, it's set apart, it's, it's to be taken seriously. Your kingdom come, your will be done. We basically say it's God's plan, not our own 
agenda that we're seeking. So if we just take these first kind of a chunk of, of phrases here, we see because he's God, he reigns. Because he's God, he reigns. Your kingdom come, your will be done. You're the Father in heaven. You're the one over this all. This is your kingdom, so you are the king. You are the one who reigns. And because we're not God, our stance is one of surrender. Your kingdom come, your will be done. So that's what we're seeing. We're saying here is that God, we believe you are God, and so you reign over all, and we take a position of surrender. And we can just pause and ask ourselves here real quick. Just take assessment. Is there something that God is asking you to surrender in your life? It might be a very specific thing. Maybe there's some goals that you have. And maybe they're not even contrary to the things of God, but He just has something different for you or something better for you. Maybe there's a big purchase you've been wanting to make, you've been saving up for, but God's calling you to use those funds and generosity in the lives of someone else in your life. Maybe there's someone you know who's in need and you, and you can give those funds to them that would make a, a significant impact. Maybe God's asking you to surrender that. Maybe he's asking you to scale back on, on your hobby and playtime. If there's time you get alone and, and you go and maybe it's whatever it is, you know, you got... Uh, guys, got your man cave or, or ladies, you got whatever you know, you're working on, and it's a, a project or it's something you like to do, and you just—it's good to have that time. I'm not disputing that, but maybe you've really carved out a large chunk of time, and God's asked you to surrender some of that time to go and serve someone else. Maybe just go and spend time with your neighbors or your family or community or a different way. Maybe there's a heart of surrender He's asking you to have. Maybe there's a direction you're going in your life, with your career, with your location, with your goals, and God's asking you to surrender those. Will you surrender your goals and, and, and go a different way? You can see all kinds of stories in Scripture where people have surrendered the direction of their lives and, and trusted God and gone His way and took, that, took them on an epic adventure. When you have a battle going on, and it comes to the point where one side eventually surrenders, there's not a debate after that. It's not like both parties come to the table and say, okay, well, I surrendered, and so I'm going to need this, this, and this, and then also we need Fridays off. It's not how it works. When you surrender, it's a one-sided conversation. Okay, how is this going to play out? And so think with that. When we surrender to God, we're looking to him saying, okay, God, what is your heart? What does your kingdom look like? What are you calling me to? And you, you say things like, well, Steve, hasn't God given me the desires? Of, so if, I, if there's certain directions I want to go in life or certain things I want to pursue, aren't those given to me by God as well? Yes, there's a peace in which we need to surrender those to God as well. And, and either he's going to use them for his glory or he's going to redirect us. Uh, you know, we don't know. But we should take a heart of surrender towards him because he reigns. Surrender to God means to give up our whatever for the sake of God's kingdom. Our rights, our desires, our goals, our direction, our time, our finances, our lives, our everything. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Give us what we need is basically what we're saying. It doesn't say give us what we want. It's saying give us what we need, our daily bread. Because God is God, he gives. Again, we see this fatherly picture in here. I can't tell you how many times my kids are asking me, do we have dessert tonight? Can we have dessert? Can we have dessert? Can I get a treat? Can I get that? I would love to say yes every single time because then I get to have some too. But I know that's not good for them. I know that wouldn't play itself out in anything that would be healthy. And so there's times where I would say, no, but I want something that you, I want to give you something that you need. And here's a healthy meal for you. 
And so we say, God, give us today our daily bread. We're saying, I'm relying on you. Give me what I need for today. And forgive us our debts. Forgive us our trespasses. Forgive us our sins as we also have forgiven our debtors, those we've trespassed against, those we've sinned against. I love this picture of, okay, so God gives us what we need, need both on a physical level but also on a spiritual level because uh, because of our sin, we're separated from God, but we trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sin, and we're forgiven. And because of that, we're able to go and, and show that same forgiveness to others and offer it to others as well. Because he's God, he gives and forgives, and our response is to rely. It's one thing to surrender. It's another to, to rely fully on God. If you ever a chance to go rappelling, I would encourage you to do it. It's, it's an awesome thing. It's a lot of fun. Sometimes it's indoors. Sometimes you can do them outdoors. Rappelling is basically you go up to the top of a sheer cliff uh, of any kind. Usually it's a rock outcropping or a man-made structure or a building, whatever. And you got a harness on and you got a rope that runs through a device. So you can kind of control the descent of the rope. And then you sit back. And if you've ever had a chance to go rappelling, you know, a lot of times the most difficult time is you go from standing straight up to sitting back in that harness. Because when you do, you are 100% trusting in that harness, trusting in that rope that's holding you up. There's no one else holding on. Any other. You just have the one line, and you control how fast it goes through the, the, the device so that you can then d- descend down the face of whatever it is you're climbing. And that moment when you're just sitting back, that's full reliance. Because if anything were to break, it's not you can like grab on to whatever's in front of you because you're literally sitting back and your feet are in front of you, pushing you off. And that's actually the, the, the one way to do it is you would then push off and let line out and you kind of descend down as you're going and you are fully relying on that rope. That is what our lives should be like with Christ. That is what our lives should be like with our Father in heaven. For all that we need, we're seeking from him. If there is something that God's called you to, he will provide. We, we need to live that out as a church as well, right? As God has called us to go make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As God has called us to make disciples, to see lives changed and disciples made. That's a big task right now, right? There's things that we've got to figure out. There's things we need to do. And, and all these things we need to do have price tags behind them. And, and we need people to come on board with us. But if God is in it, if it's his plan, he's going to provide. He gives and he forgives. Our job is to rely closes with this. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. I, I think this says more about us than it does about God. So the, the temptation of our heart is to stray from God, is to go towards temptation, to go towards evil. And so we're saying, God, give us a new way. Give us a new way. Because he's God, he leads, he guides, he directs the ways of our life. And because we are not, we follow. It's interesting. At first, when I, when I first wrote this, I said, because God leads, we obey. I sort of think about that. I think a lot of times when we think about obedience, we think about stop doing something. When I tell my kids you need to obey, it's because I want them to knock it off, whatever they're doing. You need to obey. You need to obey. You need to listen. Dad said no. And I think we've really wrapped up obedience in this stop doing something. But really, because God leads, it's more than just an obedience of stopping something. But it's obedience of following. It's an obedience where we say, I'm going to go your direction. I'm going to turn from mine, and I'm going to go yours. And so because God leads, we need to follow, which means, one, we need to knock off whatever we're doing and then pick up and follow wherever he's leading. My heart for us all this morning, my challenge for us all, is that uh, over the next season of life, 
we would make this prayer a regular part of our morning. That when you begin your day, you would begin with the Lord's Prayer. Turn to Matthew 6 and just read through those lines and think on what each one means and the implications of that and the foundational truths that are explained in that. I'm just saying season of life, whether that's the next 10 weeks as we finish up this series, maybe that's for the summer, maybe that's for 2018, maybe it's for while you're on this earth. I don't know. You decide for you what that is, but maybe it's just the next week. Maybe you've never done something like this. You're just going to say for the next week, every morning, I'm going to do my best to wake up and, and read this prayer. Maybe even commit it to memory if you don't have it memorized. So every morning I'm going to begin my day with this statement. Even if you're not even sure if you believe all these things yet about who God is, ask him to reveal himself to you as you read through this prayer. And he will answer you. Let's pray. Father God, you are an amazing God. We thank you so much that you are God and that we are not. Father, we thank you for the ways in which you lead us, for the ways in which you give and forgive Father God, we thank you for all the different ways that uh, you provide and that you reign, Father. Help us to, to surrender to you and to follow you and to rely on you, Father God. I pray that the course of our days would be dramatically changed as we continue to follow you and go your ways. I pray that you do a work in each one of us, Father God, that we would uh, truly have an experience with you. For those who maybe don't know you, Jesus, I pray you would reveal yourself to us, that we would come to see that you truly are God, that you died on the cross as a payment for the ways in which we've gone against you, for the ways in which we've gone our way instead of yours, and that we're forgiven and wiped clean, and we take on your righteousness. We're made right when we trust in you, when we believe and confess, we know in our heart and our mind that you are God, Jesus. We know that we are forgiven. And for all of us, Father God, I pray that you would meet with us as we address different questions we may have or different paths you may be leading us on as we surrender ourselves to you, Father, and rely on you. I pray that you would meet with us and make that known. Help us to see how you lead and where you lead, and then help us to follow. In your name, amen.